This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Like the kōkako, the saddleback, or tieke, belongs to the New Zealand wattlebird family. A family to which the huia belonged and which has been established in this country since ancient times, much longer than most of our other birds. The saddleback takes its name from the bright reddish saddle on its back, which according to legend is the mark of Maui's hand. Sadly, this attractive bird has disappeared from the main islands and exists only on a few offshore islands, carefully chosen locations for resettlement away from predators, which appears to have saved the tieke from total extinction. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good day, friends. Today, this is our last uh, interview of the uh, year because I'm going on holiday from now until February. And we have us with us today Mark Chamberlain, the Catholic priest of Holy Name in Dunedin North, across from the university. We're talking about hope. And you can podcast this or anything else we've done recently by going to oar.org and then going to podcasting and then going to community or chaos. Welcome aboard, Mark. Oh, good, Marvin. Good to be with you all. How would you... I believe you're going to get a holiday. That's good. <laughs> yes. How would you define hope non-theistically in a secular, wor- secular world? No, hope is... Um... It's it's that trust that resides inside of us that somehow we can work for change and we can make our world uh, more recognisable to how God has, has intended it, this world to be. It's this inner trust that in the end darkness doesn't have the last word. Well, that's what Martin Luther King said about society that the, the world the arc of history is in favor of hope and love. I read a book by uh, about Nelson Mandela the South African, first South African um, black president and liberation leader who spent 27 years in prison for his beliefs and actions. And he, well, this book by a person who's been doing a biography of him, and he said that Nelson believed that if you approach people with trust and respect, that somehow even your enemies would reply in kind. He believed that, and he acted on that. And I, 
Uh, and I think that helped the transition from um, apartheid to a, a democracy in South Africa, his approach. Yeah. How does hope differ from opt from optimism? I think optimism uh, that operates uh, Marvin at a surface level. Um, you know, uh, we can be optimistic that we might achieve this, or this is going to happen, or uh, things are going to work out fine. Hope comes in to the space that's sacred within each person. Our, it comes through our silence, our ability to be still, and in that silence to hear beyond anything else that we're actually all connected, we're, we're one, we're not uh, separate. For me, optimism is what the individual might engage with at a more at a superficial level. But I think hope moves us away from a kind of a globalization of superficialities. It helps us to reach more deeper. And, uh, you know, we might sense it by drinking a cup of tea silently in the early morning, listening to the lovely sound of birds around us and thinking about this land of ours. Or we might sense it in holding the friend, the hand of a friend, who's unwell. Well, I'm going to do something unexpected, or well, something I didn't expect. I'm going to play, I was going to play this at the end, but now I'm going to play it now. It's a poem by Leonard Cohen. And it's called Listen to the Mockingbird. I mean, listen to the hummingbird, sorry. Listen to the hummingbird. I was always working steady But I never called it art I got my shit Listen to the hummingbird whose wings you cannot see. Listen to the hummingbird. Don't listen to me. Listen to the butterfly whose days but number three. Listen to the butterfly. Don't listen to me. Listen to the mind of God which doesn't need to be. Listen to the mind of God, 
Don't listen to me. Uh, that was Leonard Cohen. He did that CD when he was dying of cancer, his last CD. You know, I thought it was very appropriate because of what you just said, Mark. Oh, thanks, Marvin. Yeah. I think it's, it's good to, uh, like for me, um, I love the, the giraffe, you know, like among the mammals, the giraffe has a large heart. It has to pump blood all the way up to that, all up through that neck. It has to, it's a large animal. But what I love about the giraffe is the giraffe has a sense of the larger horizon. It looks at the bigger picture the bigger story and isn't caught up in the smallness of things. And I think that hope brings us to the larger view. Suddenly we realise it's not just about our country or our land or our people Or even humanity. It's it's like we're we are intimately interwoven with all of creation. So when we see people being brutalized, or when we see destruction happening anywhere in this world. We're engaged in feeling with this. And, and it, it, it kind of invites us to be determined to do what we can to respect one another. When I think of people and hope, partly because of family background. I think of a Eddie Hilson. She was a Jewish mystic and poet. And she was in a Ravensbrook 
concentration camp waiting with her family to go to Auschwitz. And somehow she was able to appreciate God in prayer and in her situation, even though she didn't expect God to get her out of that situation. And one place said, she says, uh, I know you can't help us, but we must help you. We must hold you inside ourselves. Yeah. And she even asked her friends to pray for German mothers whose uh, sons were at the Eastern Front, which is unbelievable because she knew the evil that was happening. She knew exactly what was happening and what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow she never let, let go of love and hope. Yeah, which... Which Marvin, it's it's the gift of of praying in our life because it 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 takes us beyond ourselves. Like during one of the lockdowns um, here at Holy Name, we help as a, as do a lot of communities, families who are struggling to get by. And I was um, really inspired. One of my heroes is a is a mum who lives out of Dunedin, lives in a three bedroom home with another couple of mothers and eight children. I guess that's one of the things about hope is it hope you know, hope is not just it is praying and it is hoping, but it's also giving you the strength and direction to to do things to alleviate situations to maybe change the direction of situations absolutely, and I mean you know I remember bringing her uh food parcels and help on a cold night, and her rushing out to the car as I was about to leave uh, with an envelope to help others who might need some help. It's like that her generosity and her empathy for others who are in a similar predicament to me, echoes hope. So it's like we're both, on the one hand, recipients of goodness from others, but that same goodness drives us out towards others to reach out for others as well. We live in a a time that's different than anything I've seen in my lifetime. I, my parents saw it and lived through it, but I never have. I'm, when I grew up in the 60s, we were, there were crises and all right, but we believed that we were going to change the world nonviolently, so we were going to change America nonviolently. But right now it feels more like a time of fear and a politics of fear by right-wing 
populists, almost fascists. What is the place of hope in this kind of situation? It's to look in the eyes of another human being. It's to see each other. It's to realize that fear is an illusion. But somehow beyond, you know, the damage that can be done by comments on social media, uh, the damage done to us by politicians who seem to create anxieties and fears and violence. All of that is unraveled when we actually realise we're with one another Mm. and that what we are afraid of actually, it doesn't exist. But what does exist is, is the possibility of encounter with another person. In the, my parents' great hero was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In the 1930s, at a time of massive economic depression and the rise of fascism, U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in his most important speech, said that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Is this what you mean by what you've been saying? Absolutely. It's like each day we need to keep choosing Are we going to live out of fear? Are we going to side ourselves with fear that creates enemies and creates a small, tiny world? Or can we live inside ourselves with love and compassion and openness to what is happening around us? And that happens for us when we realize that we're not alone. That no matter what we're experiencing, we're actually part of a larger story. And that it's that experience of knowing that Jesus is with us. that there's a mutuality of energies between himself and our own life, that we're a company. Would this include people that are non-Christians? Absolutely. You know, people like uh, Jewish people and uh, Muslims and Buddhists, but also people like Nelson Mandela, who I mentioned, who believe so strongly that if you approach people with respect and openness, somehow that would be answered. And he was a a good man, but he wasn't a um, a believer in 
God as we think, as people think of God often. Uh, and I think it's whenever we're able to let go of the ego. It isn't about a confession mm. or belief. It's about appreciating that there's something larger happening here. Mm-hmm. That's why I love the image of the giraffe. <laughs> um, because, you see, if we can let go of the smallness of self, and some of the giants in this, they are people that have discovered something larger. And they may not be Christian or Jewish or, or have a, a, an Islamic faith, but they, they, they're able to realize that there's more to life than themselves. Mandela was asked, what did you learn in prison? He was there for 27 years. And he said, I matured in prison. He was, of course, he was in his, I think he was 40, he was in his early 40s, so he wasn't a child when he went to prison. But he said, I matured in prison. Um, do you think courage and hope are connected? I think they're, they're, they're one and the same. I mean, if we sense an atmosphere, an internal atmosphere of hope, even in the darkest of scenarios, then this gives us the ability to be courageous. We can sense something larger happening. Just yesterday, I was with a family in pain whose son uh, had attempted suicide. And the trauma and the pain, but in the blessing, the courage, they had to show love with one another. And even in the the depths of, of true despair, to have the courage to hold on to hope and love. And despite the personal pains, that they know will go on and on and on through the years. The gesture of blessing with each other was something that needed to happen but arose out of their out of their deep love. and their deep love for their son. So yes, hope, courage, 
They've merged. They're part of each other. Moral and ethical courage are slightly different than physical courage, aren't they? Yes, they are. And again, it's that reaching beyond ourselves, reaching out for others. Do you have other examples that you can give not naming people, I mean, not naming people close to you or there are people in New Zealand living now, but examples of moral courage? Absolutely. I can remember uh, a young man uh, in, in care but about to die in his dying moments, and his little three-year-old jumps up on top of him on the bed, on the hospital bed, actually, and tells her daddy that she has a sore tummy. And to see his hand struggle to move and lift her T-shirt and slowly rub her tummy. It's those gestures, Marvin, where we see something larger happening. Or recently just sitting with people who chosen not to be vaccinated and having to be separate inside a building because of that at a time of prayer and then noticing someone who is fully vaccinated choosing to sit with them not because they agreed in not being vaccinated, but because there's something larger happening here. There's, there's a common humanity, humanness, that calls us to reach out beyond ideologies. I think I'd like to remember that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to play another song, and then I'm going to sure. carry on. Yeah. And uh, this is...
We're talking with Mark Chamberlain, a Catholic priest at Holy Name, about hope. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz, then going to podcast, then going to community or chaos. Mark, what place... I think we've been talking about solidarity, but how does solidarity build up hope? Well, I think the wonderful gift it has is that it responds to one of our deepest fears as human beings. The terrible fear that we are isolated, that we are part of a world where we're not connected. Solidarity enables us to know that wherever we are or however we are, that there are others who stand with us. Marvin, you mentioned one of the giants of our recent history in Nelson Mandela. But I remember reading commentaries written by South African journalists expressing the great hope that was happening within them when they heard of the the boycotts against rugby tests in New Zealand miles away on the other side of the world because people were choosing to be in solidarity with people they've never met and would never meet. But their instincts told them that apartheid was evil and that no human being should ever be treated like this. And hearing that actually New Zealanders were choosing to boycott rugby test matches involving the Springboks, touched their hearts and gave them a sense of solidarity and what that can feel like, that they weren't isolated in their nation. So I think solidarity does help, Marvin, because it breaks down the illusion that we're an individual and isolated. It reminds us that we're interconnected with others. Can we talk not only of solidarity between human beings, but with the rest of nature and the universe, as in Martin Buber's book, I and Thou? Well, I think the current situation, you know, when we keep hearing about these storms that are the worst in 
a hundred years, when we see what's happening to our planet, when we see and hear about extinction of species, and when we notice the sadness that's within us, even the determination not to use plastics or the personal choices we make about what we can do, that's all part of our response and realising that actually we're part of something, not just with other human beings alone, but with everything and everyone. Are we part of the creation process that's going on in the universe? The universe seems to be spilling out with life. Absolutely. And I think that's why when we sit down in the gardens or when we sit in our favourite chair and allow ourselves to see what's happening around us with the plants and the bush, and hearing water moving and seeing the abundance of life with flowers this time of the year. And we're part of all of that. That's why it resonates in us. Because part of having hope Marvin is to have a contemplative composure within our being. And to notice what we see and hear and experience. Is this part of what we mean by empathy? And does this have a part to play in solidarity? It includes empathy because to place ourselves with our hearts, aware of what it would be like to be like this or to endure this, this helps us to see more deeply helps us to step into reality, to move beyond superficial responses and to journey into a deeper reality, to feel with what is happening around us. How do you... um, How do you approach people who are full of fear and in some cases even spread fear and hate because they're fearful? How do we how do we approach people in a way that they can hear us and not just get into the um adversary game which is you know most of us are tempted to do that at least some of the time 
Yeah. Well, I think one of the wonderful gifts that we can offer one another is to listen, to allow ourselves to give the space to be listened to and to listen to our adversaries or those who think strongly differently from us to provide a space where they can be listened to. We may not agree with them and they may be trying to convince us of the rightness of their position. But if we actually allow spaces for people to be listened to, there's a possibility that they might begin to be willing to offer us the same courtesy. Is this one of the virtues, subtle, more subtle virtues of free speech, the idea that that free speech and people need the right to be able to say what they feel, even if we don't agree with it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's true. Very true. And it allows what's there to be expressed. But we too have the right and the need to say what we think and what we feel. But it doesn't necessarily work to silence the the view you are opposed to, does it? No, it doesn't, not at all. You know, I'm mindful of the words of St. Francis of Assisi, where he encouraged those who were Franciscan with him to preach the gospel at all times and only if they have to, to use words. It's like by the way we love, by the way we experience life, this is all part of our response. Do you think a society where there's a a strong element of of security and equality is a place where it's easier to to practice empathy and to not be fearful. I think that it that it gives a good environment, Marvin, for it. But in, in it's New not Zealand, enough, I realize. But yeah, but in New Zealand, we the, unfortunately there's a great disparity of, of personal wealth, and increasingly we see families who are struggling to get by, and yet what often moves me is their care for one another and for others.
I mean, that's sort of, you know, this, this ability to be in touch with our own innate goodness. Pope Francis, in a recent article, asked us to stop using migrants and refugees for political ends. Could you talk about this? Well, I think he, coming from South America and his experiences in ministry, where he he knew that the disparity between those who had multiple properties and those who had to sleep in cardboard boxes at night. His great trust and instinct that all human beings have an inner dignity and that no one should ever be subjected to a label or to find a way from that, that dignity, and that we are to do all that we can to reach out for one another. The trouble is when ideologies come to try and label people or rob them of their intrinsic goodness or importance and value. And politics at times, well, if you like, politics that isn't based on, on good values can do that and create fear where people can end up despising the other or being scared of them. We can, of, yeah. we can rob ourselves, can't we, of our own goodness and trust if we, if we treat and talk about people in certain ways. Absolutely. It's like if you think of uh, Mary Oliver's uh, poem on summertime and, you know, that when she encounters the grasshopper and asks us and leaves us with the question, what are you going to do with your one precious life? Well, we could allow our lives to be robbed of its goodness or we can dig it deeper into reality and choose to live deeply with one another. Francis has a solidarity not only with the poor, but he also seems to have a solidarity with the earth and life on earth, doesn't he? The, our, the home we live in. Yeah. I think he, you know, when he was elected, his deliberate choice to take the name Francis of Assisi or, or 
to allow the Franciscan vision of Brother Sun and Sister Moon to allow that deep awareness that earth is not our property. It's not there for our use. You see, living where he lived on the continent of um, South America, to, you know, the great robbery, you think alone, that's happening in the Amazon and a synod on the Amazon that called for a deep tenderness for all of creation. Our bush, our land, our sea that surrounds all this land, we, we have as home. But we know there's something wrong when we see plastic floating in the water and we pick it up or we try to clear a little bit of the beach or we refrain from throwing rubbish on the ground. It's all part of our innate response that we're part of something. You know, the Jewish uh, rabbi Abraham Heschel says to us that prayer is a blush in the presence of God. Marvin, it's that sensitivity to where we are. And Francis is is holding on to that and trying to offer that to us in all kinds of ways. And offering a new style of leadership I mean, he's still really in the same room that he went as a cardinal for the election. He hasn't moved rooms yet. When I was preparing for this, the questions, I read something Paul wrote in Romans. Now, hope that is for what is Seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, do you want to? Could you like to talk about that? Well, it's like um, you know that it's it's that continual reaching deeper. It's allowing our roots to reach deep beyond the surface beyond the surface of what can be seen. But to allow ourselves to realise that we're part of a larger mystery and that although we cannot physically see this mystery, 
we're sensitive to it. We have an inner instinct that helps us to be sensitized to this larger presence of God. And that we're willing to give our lives to this mystery. What do you do to restore hope after traumatic experiences? I think care, Marvin, care is so important. Our faithful care of one another. Our willingness to be there. Sometimes it's just simply our presence. Our willingness to be available. But creation itself gives us so much. That, you know, I can remember being involved in a really uh, painful tragedy and having to respond with care in a murder scene and feel the, the immense. pain and yet coming home and reaching down and touching the grass just to feel it again and how restorative that was to do that it's like how creation at times when it's out of balance can upset us but at times it it actually keeps us right when we are out of balance. Or moments of... Oh, sorry, Marvin. No, go ahead. Or moments of of pain, of... um, I can remember... um, after 9-11, having a student liturgy here at Holy Name. And on the floor, we had all these graphic symbols of the violence that had occurred. And about 200 of us gathered, mainly students, coming forward offering petals of flowers to cover those images. And there was something in that gesture again that was healing after the trauma that we were in solidarity with. Or the way water can be sprinkled around in a room for a blessing 
those simple gestures that help to restore us, to heal what needs to be healed inside of us after trauma. So hope is something that is within us. It's not a commodity. Can't be worked at or skill-based. But it's a gift that's held deeply inside of us when we trust the larger story. and acquiesce to that movement that's larger than us. Mark, thank you very much for taking part in this and discussing so sensitively the reality of hope and the need for hope and courage to overcome fear. And the, the actual belief and experience that, that hope is there. Yeah. I thank you, Marvin. Well, I'll see you all in February. And, Mark, I'll be back, back in touch with you, too. Thanks, Marvin, and thank you for what you do for us. Thanks a lot, Mark. Oh, I guess he's gone. Well, I think that was one of the best interviews I've had. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.